Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field report. Start a report out this week. Uh, Janine and I took a, a trip out to Ohio to see the Spatial Ag guys. Um, the trip out uh, through Logansport, Indiana and on up, we saw a lot of good-looking corn and soybeans uh, from the road. There in northwest Ohio, uh, around the Defiant Sherwood area, uh, those guys had a rough start this spring. Uh, with uh, tons of water pushed their planting window back to uh, late May, actually early June in some cases. Then they just came through a 20-day period of above 90 degree temperatures with a little bit of water uh, out there. So they've been kind of bounced around in that defiant Sherwood area. But with all that, uh, I got to say the crops are better than I expected. They did receive an inch and three quarters rain the night before we got there. Uh, so that made things look better. Um, but they were just finishing or in the middle of pollination on the corn. So situation, they got 60, 65 days to go there, where we're thinking about, in a lot of cases, 10 to 15 days here. So they're going a long road ahead of them. Kernel counts were pretty good. We, we kernel count in the fields we're in from 170 to 240, most of them in that 190, 210 range. So that was kind of exciting. But unfortunately, they won't get the depth of kernel uh, this late in the game as far as how they're going to finish that we would get and they are going to need water to finish so if the weather sticks with them i think the, there's still pretty good promise out there um, but uh, we're going to be long done and have the trucks in the shed when they get started i think from a timing standpoint um, we did have a couple interesting things that we found out there one is we found a couple of fields with heavy infestation of northern rootworm beetle uh, that had fed on the corn leaves as well as clipped some silks from pollination and pretty aggressive root feeding as far as taking out, um, in some cases, four or five uh, crown roots on a node. So that was something we hadn't seen in a while. Uh, I haven't seen that heavy out there anyway, and we did find it in more than one field. And uh, with the northern rootworm beetle, of course, uh, crop rotation isn't very effective on it because of the extended diapause, meaning it can lay its eggs in the field and not all will hatch next year, some will hatch the year after. So a situation where corn soybean rotation isn't as effective as it would be on the western rootworm. Now the good news was all the fields that we saw the damage in were not traded corn. So we're not dealing with resistant issues, or at least we don't know if we are, but it's not like some of the issues we're seeing here where our rootworm traded corn isn't holding. But it does tell them that they're probably going to have to start thinking about putting insecticide on their double pros out there uh, in those fields that are starting to show that pressure. We did find northern rootworm beetle as well in some of the soybean fields we're in, so uh, that insect is probably adapting along the lines of what the western does here. We also had something interesting out there. We had two fields that were heavily populated with the flea beetle and had considerable amount of flea beetle damage on it, and both of those fields had steward's wilt. And that's something we've never seen out there before because typically in northwest Ohio, the flea beetle won't overwinter very well there. Uh, so that was kind of surprising. Now, um, the coldest part of their winter, they said they had good snow cover. So I'm guessing that's probably what's playing into it is uh, that insect was more protected uh, through the winter than maybe they would be here in central Illinois if we had frozen ground like they typically do. Beans out there are uh, short, uh, still setting pods. So uh, situation where uh, they're not going to see the big tall beans that we have here at harvest uh, they still got a ways to go as far as uh, from a, a maturity standpoint 
Um, but scenario where uh, we did see some uh, brown stem and we did see some uh, sudden death out there as well. Um, but the beans are more than knee-high range compared to what we're dealing with here. We did travel back um, through northern Indiana, and you can tell there if the corn or beans aren't under irrigation, they're under some stress. And as we came back through Chicago and dropped south, right at about Wilmington, from Wilmington south uh, through Pontiac and Chenoa, there's a lot of crops under stress from moisture right now. Um, a lot of cornfields that are fired up pretty hard and bean fields that um, are flipping the leaves over and give you that silver look, you know, as far as the scalding on the hillsides. Uh, so the pressure is there. You know, last year, what I call the 136 drought, 136 was kind of in the middle of that. Um, this year, I'd say 136 is the very south end of this dry band. It, it makes it basically uh, finishes at 136 and moves north. And the further north we go up into that, uh, again, up in that Pontiac area up in there, there's some, uh, there's some tough conditions up there. Field visits this week, doing yield checks out there, ranged uh, from 170 to 285 bushel. Uh, most of the yield checks still continue to come in that 210, 220 bushel range. Um, you know, so a situation where it's kind of this week, as we are in the fields from north to south, it's kind of the haves and the have-nots. You know, at our, our field day that we had uh, in July, uh, guys got up on the stage and they talked about their crop report when we did that round robin crop report and a number of the guys especially up in the northern area said man we got a look good looking crop we can just hold it together but we're awful tight on moisture we need rain well for some of those guys they never got that rain so they've been um, basically since the middle of july july without any moisture and it has really uh, put them in a tough spot as far as some of these cornfields they hung in there pretty tough, but now we have dead plants and we have ears hanging down and those plants did not make black layer. So we know what that's going to do for test weight uh, and standability as well. In some cases, it's just the light knolls in the field, but in other areas where they just couldn't find any rain, it's the whole field uh, that has given it up and the ears are down. And once those ears flip down, rain is not going to help in that situation. Um, you just can't get anything into the field itself. Now, rain definitely will still help the soybeans uh, in that situation. But, it, you know, it's kind of a tough thing to deal with. The, these fields put up a good fight. They hung in there for a long time. You know, they were staying tough the whole game. We're, we're in it. And there we were at the end. The bases were loaded, and all we needed was a walk-off home run to actually win the game. But that home run didn't come and we left a lot of potential in the field. So we're checking some of those cornfields up there that had that potential for 230, 240 bushel corn, looking now like it might be 160 to 180, uh, and dealing with some lighter test weights uh, in the process. I do think up in that area, we will see harvest before the end of August. Because some of these fields, as they dry down and get to a point where we should take them, we probably shouldn't wait on them. Um, because we're going to have standability issues as well. So I think we will see some uh, harvest in August up in that area that we traditionally don't see. So again, some of those fields are not going to respond much to any rainfall. We did get some up in that area uh, here just last night, but the soybeans will respond to it. Uh, so we are seeing some spider mites showing up in those areas. So the scouts, you need to be keeping an eye on the edges of these fields. 
Um, most of the spider mites we're dealing with are coming again off of lots and stuff like that. But you may want to have to slip in there and border some of these fields so we don't have to spray the whole field and kind of hold these in check as we uh, head for the finish line itself. We did check one of our plots up there that's uh, a VRT plot on population, in this case population in, in uh, narrow rows, and looking at how these lighter soils were doing under heavy versus the lower populations. And man, it was a pretty good testament to the VRT, meaning lowering those plant populations definitely helped us with their ear fill and uh, with their actual yield checks were considerably higher at low populations we took away some of that stress so that's kind of a, a unique or fun to watch that side of it one good thing about the dry area is there is less gls uh, so we are seeing more gray leaf everywhere but in the dry areas it is um, less and we actually check some fields that weren't sprayed that never did hit threshold and i don't think they're going to be an issue um, so it's uh, definitely tell the difference in the dry weather and the humidity and how fast that disease was progressing. This week we had probably close to a dozen more fields that did test positive for Goss's wilt. Not all of them test positive, but uh, we probably had a dozen that tested positive for Goss's wilt. Now again, as we keep saying, positive test meaning when we run them here in the office doesn't mean that it's positive. There's other things that can trigger it, but Typically, we don't have any um, negative tests that are, are uh, Goss's wilt. So if it tests negative, we know it's not Goss's wilt, but test positive, it could be. Visual symptoms, sure, look it. Uh, it is easier to find in the corn on cornfields. So the pest scouts out there, if you see a field that comes unraveled faster than you would think and comes apart faster than you think, be looking for that, especially if it's a corn on corn situation because you're going to have to change our practices as far as what we think about hybrid selection going back in there uh, in the uh, next year's corn crop. And if you're a corn bean rotation but using no-till, again, you may have to realign just uh, how you're picking your hybrids from a goss as well. But, and there's just more fields showing up than I anticipated, and we keep finding some uh, on a weekly basis. So uh, let's keep that in mind as we're doing our scouting. This week in most fields, the aphids have moved up above the ear. Um, most of the fields that I've been in, I think the corn is going to still outrun these aphids. Um, but in the dry area, uh, there are large amounts uh, of aphids above the corn. And that sap that's on the outside of the leaf uh, that you see out there, and actually you walk through some of those fields, you're kind of covered with sap. Unfortunately, that sap would have been better served if we could have put it into the ear. So that is wasted food that these varmints are stealing from us. But in the drier areas, we are moving this corn along at such a pace, and we've already suffered some yield losses. I don't think there's a there's going to be an ROI on treating those aphids in those areas. We did find a couple of fields, though, this week that are 35 days out with a lot of potential, and the aphid pressure is extremely heavy, meaning that uh, we were covered with aphids when we came out of the field and, uh, and almost sticky and we are going to have to pull the trigger to save them. The potential is too high and the pressure is moving too fast in that case. So again, as your pest scouts are out there, let's be watching this aphid on those fields that uh, have a lot of potential and they're 30 days or so out. Some of this later planted corn, we may have to, um, we may have to take that varmint out. The beans, as we're in this week, they're starting to see some lodging. Of course, that lodging is going to cause some pot abortion and seed abortion. Um, we are finding more sudden death 
most of the sudden death has been in the non-treated uh, for sudden death seed. Uh, this, this week we did find a field that had sudden death that was treated. Every plant we split open had both sudden death and brown stem. So that was kind of unique to find every plant to be double infected from that scenario. Um, as we as we look at the brown stem is going to be more of a hybrid selection the sudden death being more of a treated thing is how we would deal with it going forward uh, next week you'll start to see sudden death from the from the road it'll start to be more visible in the fields where where it's out there uh, right now he's still walking out in the field to see it but you'll start to see some fields that will show up with that sudden death from uh, from the pickup I don't expect a widespread sudden death issue uh, due to how quick these beans came up and got out, um, but there will be some. We saw uh, a few more fields uh, this year, uh, this week with uh, white mold, and uh, one field or two actually was substantial white mold. And the question is, how much yield loss are we experiencing from the white mold? Well, in these fields with the white mold damage, if you spend some time and investigate what percent of the plants are infected so you may have to do a little crawling around in there now but as big as these beans are and see how many out of 10 or how many out of 20 are actually infected um, and the field we we're in uh, basically is around 10 percent of the plants look to be infected with white mold at this stage of the game with those dead plants out there if 10 percent of the plants are infected you most likely are looking at about 10 percent yield loss uh, in the fields. And most of the uh, white mold, again, has been in fields that have a history of white mold and uh, more to the north than to the south, but not heavy pressure that we would think of from a, that you would think of in a typical white mold year. So it's not uh, an epidemic, but it is out there. And it, from the pest boss standpoint, that needs to be logged on that field. Once the white mold is there, it's kind of permanent. And we know that uh, we're going to manage around that white mold itself. Starting to see a lot of rootworm beetles, uh, numbers climbing in the bean field. So as we walk through these fields and we pay attention, we do have a lot of bean leaf beetle out there as well. But you're starting to see more and more of the western rootworm beetle. Uh, and I believe what's taking place is they're starting to move out of these cornfields that are starting to deteriorate from both drought stress or um, gray leaf damage. And they're starting to migrate from the, the cornfields in this last round and remember it's the eggs laid in the bean field basically from august 15th to september 15th that tend to give us the most trouble next year so the pest scouts need to be paying attention to what those populations are start to watch the catches on your sticky traps now because you're going to start to see a shift upward in rootworm beetle compared to the bean leaf beetle that are sticking to those traps and this is especially true if you're planning on going into those fields with a double pro next year without a soil insecticide. So again, we want to be paying attention to it. Uh, how many of them are migrating? Along with the rootworm beetle, I think we're seeing a pretty good migration, I think, of the stink bug out of the cornfields as well uh, into the bean fields because the stink bug pressure in the bean fields seems to be climbing on a weekly basis and uh, we're finding less of them in the cornfield so i think we got a pretty good migration it's been a while since i've seen this many stink bugs in the soybean fields now uh, that's a concern for you guys that are growing seed beans so situation where one of the fields we were in this week i counted four stink bugs per plant and that's pretty steep when you think a threshold is one stink bug per foot of row 
or 19 per sweep, that type of thing, for 25 sweeps, I mean. Um, but you guys that are raising seed beans, be paying attention to these stink bugs and maybe talking to your uh, seed house uh, that you're selling them to as far as what their recommendations would be on it. But as these beans roll into 6.5 in their maturity, these stink bugs, if they aren't gone, will start feeding on the soybeans in the pod and they'll give you a damaged pod. So you could lose your quality or even get, we've seen fields rejected because of stink bug damage. But um, as you're out there walking around, get out past the edge. If you can get through these beans and kind of look around and see what the stink bug population is. And they're not in every field, but the numbers are considerably higher than what we're used to. So again, for the seed field guys, we need to pay attention to this. So as we look across here, uh, I do see some sudden death. I do see some white mold. I do see some lodging, but I see some pretty amazing pod sets on these beans. Uh, I think we got some pretty good potential. If we can get some good finish and the guys in the north get some rain on that, um, I think we're going to see some pretty amazing bean yields going to drive us nuts trying to harvest them especially these big ones but i think we got a lot of tap potential there on the soybeans so we'll see how it plays out um and i think we got some really good corn yields as well so situation where i i, I the dry area is going to be a little disappointing um and maybe uh the rest of it is a little under what some people are thinking but i i think we're going to see a lot of good corn i sure would like to see some better sunshine you know Three days this week, we're kind of uh, on the short side as far as the cloud cover and not getting good ET rates. So we do need a strong finish, but I do think that finish is coming where a lot of these fields are going to black layer in uh, 10, 15 days. So um, gearing our sights up on a be hard at this harvest in September. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.